Voices. Right. Well, this week we will be starting or, or finishing, I guess, um, Romans chapter 1. So um, I have always enjoyed reading. It's a, a good outlet for me. And while I enjoy the lighthearted women's fiction at times, you know the type, the ones that end just like the Hallmark movies do, yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. So I, I like those sometimes. I also enjoy books that are a little more adventure and action. So I like Michael Crichton and his scientific thrillers or John Grisham and his legal thrillers. I also read a lot of James Patterson. He's got detective and suspense thrillers. Now, James Patterson is enjoyable. But there are usually a couple of scenes in his book that I'll start reading the scene and then I'll just flip the couple of pages and, and move on, right? And there's nothing wrong with, with doing that. Um, a lot of times these are the more intimate romantic scenes, uh, occasionally a detailed crime scene. But I can easily skip those pages and not really miss anything that's critical to the story. I can still enjoy the book without having to read the yucky stuff. Um, so the passage we're covering this week and that you were assigned for homework last week, this is one of those passages that we could be kind of tempted to do that same thing, to kind of start, start reading it and be like, oh, I don't think so, and skip over it back, at, you know, get to the next chapter. Um, but... We can't do that when it comes to the Bible. And so I gave somebody 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And so what part of scripture does this say is breathed out by God? All. All right? And in what ways is all scripture profitable? It gave us four different things in that, in that verse. Instruction. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Correction. Uh-huh. Training. And training. Yeah. And so, and, and then the purpose of it is to equip us for good work. God has a purpose in every piece of scripture for each of us. Um, Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. It's over here somewhere, too. 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Amen. So what is the promise of God here? As the word goes forth, the Lord does the work. It's not going to turn out empty. Yeah, the, his word's going to come out. It's not going to return empty. His purpose, his purpose will be accomplished, Right. This is one of the reasons that I truly love going to a church that preaches through books of the Bible. Because by doing that, eventually, we're going to make it through the whole Bible. We're not going to 
pick and choose different pieces. And there, there is a place for topical sermons. The, the series that we're in right now is a topical sermon. There is a place and a time for that. Don't get me wrong. Just it's important to not skip the hard stuff. And so um, we're not going to skip the hard stuff here. Romans is full of hard stuff. Um, but over the next year, we're going to, to look at these hard topics, not just the one like this, which is, is revealing the depth of our sin. We're going to look at justification by faith. We're going to be look, look at being bound by the law versus grace and faith. We're going to look at God's sovereignty, which may not sound like a hard topic, but that's God's sovereignty even in the bad times. Um, we're going to tackle submission to the government. We're going to tackle judging others. We're going to tackle the weaker versus the stronger brother. Romans is not an easy book, and you're going to be faced with having to confront why you feel a certain conviction for several different things. The Roman church dealt with racism, homosexuality, the balance between biblical law and political law, and more. You know what that means? That means that we are going to deal with racism, homosexuality, the balance between biblical law and political law, and more. So we might as well start with the uncomfortable right now. <laughs> so this week I asked you to look at Romans 1, 18 through 32. And so we're going to start by reading that whole passage. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things 
things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So, how did the homework go? As, as you looked at the passage this week, was there anything that stood out to you? Was, was there a particular word or phrase, verses? What, what left you thinking? Was there something that somebody wants to share? I, I was thinking more about Romans 121. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Yeah. Yeah, so what was it about that that struck you? Several, several of you had it, so any of you can answer. It was a choice. Yeah, yeah a choice. A choice. The wrong one, the bad one, <laughs> they made it. Yeah. Well, every week, I'm going to ask this question. There's no obligation to share anything, but I would love to hear what God is teaching you because there are no wrong answers. Um, we are going to have different responses to each passage, and that's part of why you study together is to be able to have that iron sharpening iron. Um, the, that's, that's the goal in, in asking that question. So, um, but did anybody notice, we're gonna take a small aside, did anybody notice what Matt preached on Sunday morning? It was how to study the Bible on your own, right? And so, so that is the same thing that we are, we are learning here. Um, he used different words for his pieces of the process, but the process is the same. I sat down with him yesterday, talked through what we are doing with what what he was doing, um, and and he agreed that that our process is is basically the same thing. Uh, doing what we did last year, that observing page, that's. That's the read. That's his version of, of what he called read. I got my papers turned wrong so that I can see. That's when, when he's trying to look for, so, so he actually said observation is the better word, but that it doesn't meet the like acronym. <laughs> so um, so he, was, he was very excited about, um, about what we're doing here. So you all are already experts on this. This is what we did last year. And so then this, this year when we flip, Matt's, um, Matt, Pastor Matt's examine is the same as our, our explanation. And so if you want to write examine in there, go for it. That's fine. Um, and then, of course, the R says application and his is apply. His word is apply, but the same, same thing. Um, he does take that final step of praying through, uh, praying through the passage and praying through your application um, so that God can work in that area of your life. It's, in essence, it's, 
how are you going to actually change? You've, you've learned this. How are you actually going to change? How are you going to respond differently because of reading this? So keep, um, keep trying this. Ask questions if you're str struggling. This week we're going to be looking at Romans 2, 1 through 3, 8. Feels like a long passage, but it all, it, it does go together. Um, follow the, the church on Facebook if you aren't already. Do Matt's homework assignment of doing this for Psalm 119 verses 1 through 8. He's planning to post on Facebook. He's sending out an email. If you don't get the church emails, let somebody know and we'll be happy to make sure that, that we forward it so that you can practice that and see his responses to, to some of those things. Just another, um, another opportunity to really practice this type of, of, of a thing. Um, but we are going to, um, now that I've done all the like bonus stuff for the week, move those papers. And we are going to dig into what God taught me this week, what I noticed through the passage this week. And I don't fill it out on this, so that's why mine's blank, by the way. It's not that I didn't do my assignment. I just didn't do it on the paper on this paper. <laughs> so um, I'm going to reread verses 18 through 23. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul is painting a very ugly picture here. The, the what, the what on our paper is this is, this is overwhelming evidence of our sinfulness. Now, in particular, this part of the passage, and we're going to see others next week, but this part of the passage is written about the Gentiles, about the non-Jewish people. That's, that's the ungodly and unrighteous that, that they're talking about in particular here. Um, and, and so that would, that would be the who aspect that you're looking for. But... Um, but right at the beginning of the passage, in the ESV, what's the first word that it says? For. For and therefore are used throughout this, um, this passage. They are connecting words. Paul uses those six times in order to link this passage together. It's to ensure that we see this whole thing from 18 through 32 as one big connecting thought, one big unit. Um, but we have a four 
And so we want to see what that's what that's also trying to connect from before. And so um, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul is talking about the righteousness of God being revealed through faith. So it's a reminder of the moral character of God, of his perfection, his holiness. And after the four, we see the wrath of God. Now this is not an impulsive, arbitrary outburst of anger. This is a a determined response, a settled response of a holy and righteous God against sinful man and woman. This is God's loving response to sin. I'm going to say that again. The wrath of God is God's loving response to our sin. This is a righteous anger, a holy anger. The um, Christ-centered expository commentary says we should tremble at God's wrath and should be thankful for the Savior. This wrath is deserved. When I read verse 16, for I am not ashamed, I always come back to Damaris Carlisle and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Singers. And when she sings that song, it is with such conviction. Mm-hmm. Only the way she can sing it. It's great. Yeah, and and we think about that righteous God being and being... Um, than having this wrath and we think how can a righteous God punish people that don't know any better and that's what that's what it's a great question and that's what Paul is addressing now it's a big topic uh, and it's in more places in the Bible Uh, I remember when I was in college I went to a conference at Southern Seminary and Dr. Russell Moore gave a 90-minute presentation on on this type of topic on this idea I mean and he still just scratched the surface so it's a huge thing how can somebody how can how can a righteous God punish people that don't know any better but basically verses 19 and 20 tell us for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. This is a concept that theologians call general, the general revelation of God. God's existence has been made clear in his creation and in his work. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says, from the world around them, humans knew there was a God who had the wisdom to plan and the power to create. In every image bearer of God, there is a sense of God in their conscience. These things are not hidden in creation. They are clearly seen. Did I give somebody Psalm 19, 1? Yes. Okay, perfect. 
the heavens declare the glory of God. That's those those sunset pictures that, that Diane posts all the time. Um, that's looking up, was it, it wasn't this past weekend, the weekend before. Did, you, did anybody look at the moon? It was huge and it was gorgeous because the sky was completely clear. And you just look at that and you're just like, I mean, I know we need the moon for survival with all the tides and everything. Andrew just yesterday, mom, you know what I just read? What son? That if the world stopped spinning for even a hundredth of a second, that we would, that 99% of everything on the earth would die. And I'm like, yep, that's true. God put it all together for us to survive, but he didn't have to make it pretty, but he made it pretty so that the heavens could declare his glory. And the big red sun this morning was just about as red yes. as the <laughs> Yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's the, the general revelation. That's, the, that's the, the aspects of God that everyone is accountable for. Now this is different from what is known as specific revelation. Specific revelation is the knowledge of the, of the specifics of the Bible, the specifics of Jesus. You cannot go from sunsets to substitutionary atonement, which is Jesus replacing us, right? You can't go from sunsets to substitutionary atonement without some sort of explanation of the gospel, right? That's, that's specific revelation. Now, there's a lot more to it than these overly simplified statements. We've given it a couple of minutes versus what could take a couple of hours. Um, you but, but it gives us the context for what Paul is, is sharing with us. You can't have saving faith in Jesus without the specific revelation or someone telling you who Jesus is but you can still know the existence of God, a higher power that's responsible for the creation of the world. The key, the key is that the unrighteous and the ungodly are suppressing the truth. Did anybody look up that word suppress by chance? Yeah, what, what was that one? Abolish, censor, conceal, put down, cancel. To, to abolish, Conceal, censor, conceal, put down, and cancel. Yeah, that's that's what it means. They suppress the truth. They are abolishing the truth. They are they are turning their backs on the truth. So they knew the truth about God. The ungodly and the unrighteous knew the truth about God. But they, they didn't just fail to respond to it. They turned their backs on it. They failed to allow the truth of God to work in their lives. I heard a lady talk who went through the Nazi regime as a little girl. She went through persecution. She went through starvation. She went through abuse from her family. She knew nothing. She had never heard Jesus. She had never heard God. She had never heard anything about it. Her name is Isaacson. She was in at Lancaster Bible College this week. She's been to our church already. She has a book. But as 
she is fleeing different times to get to different places of safety, she would look up and say, I don't know who's up there, but can you save me? And in the end, she gets to the point where she goes to a, a, a chapel and she, and she has been having these revelations all through her childhood and teenage years. And she sits in this chair in this gorgeous chapel and she puts her arms out like this and she said, I could just feel God's arms around me. But I didn't know God. I didn't know who he was, but I knew it was something. So, she, you know, even though we don't hear it, know it, there's something in here that it's there. Right. It's there. It just has to be. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's that's the that's that's God. Yeah. He's present. He is everywhere. And if your eyes are open to see him, great. But if you close your eyes to him, and that's what these people were doing. They had closed their eyes to God. They had no problem using the gifts of God's creation, but refused to worship or thank him. And then, and then verse 23 there says, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Just to let you know, creeping things are bugs, <laughs> right? They were foolish. They didn't just not worship God. They chose to worship pitiful substitutes. Mankind was made to worship. And when they suppressed, when they canceled, when they abolished, when they hindered the true God, the unrighteous and the ungodly had to find something else to worship. Warren Wiersbe says they exchanged the glory of the true God for substitute gods that they themselves made. They exchanged glory for shame, incorruption for corruption, and truth for lies. Now this is where I want us to really pause for just a minute. This is the part that has stuck with me all week long and was really the key to the passage for me. These substitute gods these created things that we worship in the place of God. Um, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven through 39. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So this is Jesus taking the whole Old Testament and boiling it down to really two commands. Now, there's more to it than just these two things, but what are these two commands that Jesus gave? Love the Lord thy God. Love God. Mm -hmm. and, uh, love and love people, right? But which one was the greatest? Loving God first. Yeah, so what, what is it that humans seek, that we seek, when we are, are looking at idols? Pleasure. Pleasure. What else? Selfishness. Selfishness. What about security? Mm -hmm. Even denial. Denial. 
folks have off-roading responsibility too. Mm-hmm. What about beauty? Satisfaction. Freedom. Peace. Any of those things sound sound familiar? So what are some idols that that mankind because I don't want to make you not answer because you might feel it's too personal. So what kind of idols are are, are some what are some idols that mankind worships today? Money. Money. Cell phones. Cell phones. <laughs> That's exactly right. Football. Football. Science. Success. Absolutely. We had that conversation with, it came up in our dinner table conversation last week. We were talking about idols and, um, and Andrew started out jokingly when we were asking who, who or what are idols, and, and he jokingly said, well, mom and dad. And we said, well, you know, that can be true. And so we had, I mean, it was a really good conversation with him about children making their parents into idols and parents making their children into idols. But um, yeah, everybody needs an Andrew every once in a while at your dinner table. <laughs> I will gladly loan him out <laughs> so that I can have a break. <laughs> But, but it's true. What about the idol of self? You thought about that one? Um, sex is one that Paul specifically talks about that became an idol. Now, many of these things are good things when they are viewed rightly. Our children are good things. They are gifts of God. Money is not a bad thing. We shouldn't shun money. We need money for food, for shelter, for clothing. We need money and material things to be able to give generously. But we have to have the right mindset and remember that money is a gift of God and to make our use of that money be because of our view of God with that money. We read in this passage about sex and about it becoming an abomination. Ladies, I am going to tell you sex is a gift from God. And when done in the context of marriage and with the right heart, it, it's a, a wonderful thing to experience. It was not meant solely for procreation, although that is one of the benefits, but it was meant for pleasure. But we can't forget to give God the glory for the joy of sex. These people, these ungodly and unrighteous Gentiles in Rome, were not doing that. They had, they had made it uh, something that was dishonorable, um, uh, contrary to nature, some of those phrases that are in there. So whenever we give something a place before God, we are sinning. And a lot of our sins boil down to idolatry. 
the, um, Timothy Keller says, the main problem of our heart is not so much our desire for bad things, but our over-desire for good things. Our turning of created good things into gods, into objects of our worship and service. So as we think about that, I'm, um, catechisms, those are a great way to teach, to, to learn and to teach the truth of, of scripture, the truth of the word to our children, to ourselves. If you haven't done one before, when Andrew was young, we started working on a catechism with him. We have all sorts of excuses why it stopped at him and the girls didn't do it, but that's for another day. <laughs> um, it was, it, I don't know what it actually comes from, because it, it was just titled A Catechism for Boys and Girls. We used it out of this book called The Truth and Grace Memory Book. Um, there's three volumes of this book. I think I've talked about it before, but maybe not. Uh, this is the first one of the three. It has suggested Bible verses, hymns, the catechisms, and it tells you starting at age two. It's got ones for you to start teaching your children at age two, and then you go all the way up. The third book gets you finished with high school with just what, uh, so the, the questions in the catechism get harder, the verses become more elaborate um, or more uh, longer, uh, harder verses. So it's like it, this one you learn John 1, 1, but in the next one you learn John 1, one through whatever so it builds on each other anyway now before you think ray and i are these amazing parents um we aren't we didn't finish the first book we didn't even start it with either of the girls really it boils down we just didn't make this particular thing a priority but this particular portion of this catechism has stuck with me since 2009 because the dates are in here when we worked on it with Andrew. And so I'm going to go back to some of these basics and share some of these questions and answers that are in the catechism. Um, 21. So you ask the question and then answer. That's how a catechism works if you didn't know. So the question is, in what condition did God make Adam and Eve? And the answer, he made them holy and happy. Did Adam and Eve stay holy and happy? No, they sinned against God. What is sin? Sin is any transgression of the law of God. I can't say that one without smiling because almost three-year-old Andrew at that point in time. Sin is any transgression of the law of God. <laughs> and so every time I think about that, that's the, so sorry. Can't say that one without smiling. But what is meant by transgression? doing what God forbids. What was the sin of our first parents? Eating the forbidden fruit. Why did they eat the forbidden fruit? Because they did not believe what God had said. Who tempted them to this sin? The devil tempted Eve and she gave the fruit to Adam. What happened to our first parents when they had sinned? Instead of being holy and happy, they became sinful and miserable. What effect did the sin of Adam have on all mankind? All mankind is born in a state of sin and misery. We're going to get to that later. But what do we inherit from Adam as a result of this original sin? 
a sinful nature. What does every sin deserve? The anger and judgment of God. Can anyone go to heaven with this sinful nature? No, our hearts must be changed before we can be fit for heaven. What is this change of heart called? Regeneration. Who can change a sinner's heart? The Holy Spirit alone. Now, it gives these verses that all these go with and like a whole bunch in this whole catechism are Romans. So you may hear more from this, but you could hear the catechism kind of built on itself with these questions. And they looked in here at Adam and Eve. And so we're going to do that as well. So Genesis 1 and 2, that's the creation account. We see that man is, is made and God said that it was very good in Genesis 1.31. And then that the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. That's the end of chapter 2. So man was the pinnacle of God's creation and were made perfect. And then we get to Genesis 3. Um, four, and four and five. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what did the serpent promise to Eve? To be like she would God. be like God. That, that her eyes would be opened and she would be like God. Was this fulfilled? In some ways... Her eyes were open. But... Yeah. Her eyes were opened. They knew good and evil. They saw their nakedness. And they saw where they fell short. So they turned away from what will satisfy to something that left them miserable. Uh, Warren Wearsby says, instead of man being made in God's image... Man made gods in his own image and then descended so low as to worship birds and beasts and bugs. Adam and Eve began as the highest of God's creatures, made in the image of God, but they ended lower than the beasts and insects, or man has ended lower than the beasts and insects because that's who people are worshiping. But the verdict is there in Romans 1.20. They are without excuse. And so as we look at the rest of this passage, briefly look at the rest of this passage, I, I want you to think about it in terms of idolatry. Um, in, in, when we get to where it's listing all these sins, just think in the back of your mind, what idol is that? What idol is that? What idol is that? Um, so there are two key words or phrases in this passage that I want us to take a quick look at as we finish out our passage. The first word is exchanged. What exchanges are made in this passage? There, I have three of them written down. They exchanged the glory of God um, for, they, they exchanged immortal God for mortal. Immortal God for mortal. Yeah. Yep. Who's through what? 
truth for a lie. Yeah, and then in verse 26, they exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, right? Mm -hmm. They traded, they exchanged good things, God-given things, for bad things. And then there's a phrase in there, how did God respond to these exchanges? What was the... What was the phrase that it says? Um, verse 24 has one. Gave them up. Yeah, God gave them up. It has a, you know, verse 24 has a, therefore, God gave them up, right? Um, so how many times did God give them up in this passage? Yeah, I got three in 24, 26, and 28. And so when we think about God gave them up, it's God left them to their sin. He allowed them to reap the consequences of their sin. Did anybody look that one up on Blue Letter Bible? Look that word up or that phrase up. So that that phrase for God gave them up, it's a ju judicial term in the Greek. It's the phrase that's used for handing a prisoner over for his sentence. It means to deliver up treacherously. It is the same word that is used for Judas's betrayal of Jesus and for Pilate's judgment of Jesus. That's the, now it doesn't say God gave them up, but that gave them up portion. But the last God gave them up is in verse 28, and it says, and they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So debased, is that one that anybody looked up? It's an odd word if you're using the ESV, some others other versions use other words. So that one, it means it's not passing the test. It's useless. It's worthless. This was a term that was used for metals with too much impurity in them, that they couldn't use them, and so they just had to toss it away. This is, this is the, the word describing their mind. It's a mind that can't make good judgments. God turned them over to a mind that was useless, that was worthless, empty. empty. And then the result is, I think I counted 24 different sins that are listed there. And they not only committed these sins, they applauded others that did them as well. So why does this matter? Why does reading about the sins of the Gentiles matter to us 
the sins of the Gentiles 2,000 years ago. Why does that matter to us? Yeah, it, it's a warning. There's other things too. Anybody else? I'm really grateful that like, I have the word consumed in here. And I thought, I have no hope except for God to save me. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I am this, so without God I am this. Yeah, to be grateful. Because um, Warren Wiersbe says, until a person knows he is a sinner, he cannot appreciate the gracious salvation God offers in, in Jesus Christ. We are these people. Because our sin, while it may not be, you know, it gives the detail of the, of the homosexuality here, right? We not, may not be that. But there are times that, that we are full of envy or deceit or that we have gossiped that we are boastful disobedient we've been those things my sins they are many but his great mercy is more that's right we can look and we can read this passage and we can think we need to just skip over it because we don't fall into that but you're wrong. I know you're wrong because I know, I know what the catechism says, right? We're born with a sinful nature and we can't get into heaven like that. And so, um, so as we, uh, so for next week, you'll want to, to look at um, Romans 2, one through three eight it's i mean it's a longer passage but it's not an overwhelming link we'll make up for it the time in a few weeks when we have just two verses to look at so um but i would encourage you to 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 try the to try this if you haven't don't feel like you have to use all of it use what works for you um because it's the same thing that Pastor Matt's encouraging us to practice. And so, so try, try that. Give it a shot. Um, and, and see how God blesses you in your, in your study of that. So um, we are going to go to our small groups. I don't have the lists of our small groups. And so if you don't know what your group is, Find Elizabeth. Yeah.